Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everybody. Are you guys staying warm up in our area here in Wisconsin? It's quite cold. I woke up, actually, you look at my watch right now. It says zero on my watch. And that's, for those of you who are international, that is zero Fahrenheit. So it's dang cold up here. Happy Tuesday, Mike. Happy Tuesday. There we go. Um, you know, when you start looking at the temperature and then the feels like <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. part, you, you know, you're in the cold season because, oh, yes. you know, it's rough. To, to those who may not know, right, you know, up in, in the Midwest or in the cold band during the wintertime, um, the, the wind chill and just just the temperature itself doesn't equate to how, how that brisk wind feels when it hits the bare skin. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's not yeah. too, it's not tundra. too, it's not too bad if you're outside and there's no wind. It's the wind. Yeah, it's the wind, wind just wind, sucks wind. all the heat out of you. Yeah. It's considerably warmer here in Chicago. It's five. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, practically wonder, t-shirts and shorts. You, you so. wonder why folks invest in some warm clothes uh, or or have their favorites because, you know, a, a cold, cold wind can bite through oh, yeah. most cheap, fabrics. Cheap fabrics. Easily. Yeah. 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 My parents have recently moved up to, well, not recently, for a while they've been, they moved up to Wisconsin from Maryland. And so this is one of the things that they discovered now, <laughs> like recently is like, man, if you buy like a North Face or like a Patagonia or like a, a, a good solid coat, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And it is the, to your point, the wind bites through so much less. And so they're, they've been like, Wow, it was like now we understand why you guys buy like all North Face things because it makes a difference. I'm like, yeah, it totally does. Yeah, it's just to keep things brand. just to keep things in perspective. I do have a coworker who lives in Alaska. Oh, so every time we start talking about cold, he's <laughs> he he brings me back. So I'm sorry, there zero are colder zero. places. But what there part are of colder? Places, what part of it? I mean, is isn't Alaska like a? It varies widely. In Alaska, like where is he at in Alaska? Because I believe some of it is like ridiculously cold and like tundra level. Other parts of it is like not as bad, but it's on the coastlines. He's he is in the colder parts. In the colder parts, okay. okay. Well, then no complaint from me. I I will admit though, I love <laughs> yeah. those Alaska surviving Alaska shows off of yeah, the Discovery right. Channel. So I, I I'm like, man, that is just well, that is one hard life up there, living up there in Alaska. You, you have to fight for like everything. Uh, we do have someone here from Florida, and they're like, "Good morning from Florida." I'm, I'm uh, all sunny there. Good morning so, from Florida. Don't talk to me. Uh, no, no, no. So, I, for someone who lived in Florida for a little, oh, that's it's true. Nice now it's that's nice true. Now, yes, you have two weeks when you're like, "Ah, seventy, it's great." Then it goes up to eighty-five and ninety-five in February, and you go, "What am I doing with my life?" So, all I know, if you, we have our mindset where we know a month and a half, and then it's t-shirts or like at least long sleeves again. Then we go outside, and the weather's beautiful. It's just this one period right now that you kind of stay warm. Well, it's fun because we, we every so often go down to Florida, like around Thanksgiving time mm -hmm. frame. And oh, it's terrible. So, sometimes it'll get cold. and people, Sometimes. Yeah, and it's like 60s. And people start freaking out. Their winter coats start coming out. Like Everyone's like, it's so cold. And I'm, I'm like running around in shorts and t-shirt. I'm like, this is great. This is not zero. And they're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's totally foreign. My birthday is the beginning of November, and all I wanted to do was like eat outside for my birthday. And for me, because I sweat in seventy, I couldn't. Oh yeah, I, couldn't. I would just be oh my sweating. Gosh, Tommy, you so, are so Italian. I'm, I'm just so <laughs> thick skinned in more than ways than one. Awesome. Well, uh, let's jump into some of today's topic. Today's topic. <laughs> let's talk well, about real stuff. Welcome, welcome to the riveting weather channel with Tommy. <laughs> where we talk about how cold it is. How cold? You know, you're old when, right? Is that, was that what happens? <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, uh, ex excellent. So, uh, jumping into today's topic, we're going to talk about what does the what does a Power BI analyst look like in you know 2.0 or in this modern era? I think things are changing. I believe. Uh, there are some trends that are happening that are going to change what you have to do as as a Power BI analyst or someone who needs to work with data on the on the day to day kind of job. So, Tommy, give us a kind of a run up. Um, there's some articles that we're going to be yeah. kind of reviewing or kind of reading through and talking through uh, together. Uh, give us a little bit of a, a an intro. Yeah, so these will be on the episode if you're listening, but I've sent these out on LinkedIn, and it's from Taylor Brownlow 
and it's from towardsdatascience.com. And the basic crux of the conversation was what the current incarnation of a data analyst is today. And it was basically you know, delivering data. And if like, you're an analyst because you deliver dashboards and you do the transformations and that's great. But what's happened was now there's very hyper specialization, hyper specialization of the analyst. And we've talked about this where yes. there's no set title for what we do, where I'm a power BI analyst. I'm a solutions engineer. I'm a data engineer or I'm a data architect, and those can all either be completely different or exactly the same, depending who you're talking to at what company. Mm -hmm. And the argument is basically, what is the analyst's role today? And it's basically focusing on your ability to not just do the things that you're already doing, but also being able to translate the business and how essential that is, not just how, um, like that's what's going to happen, but it's like, that's the most imperative part is being able to uh, translate that data and business gap. And mm -hmm. the other part was be able to help make decisions. And this is very much the theme of what we talked about, but this article to me was very challenging in terms of it, or it's a challenge to all of us. And it's like, if you're not doing that today, you know, you have to. And it's like, because one of the things, she, um, one of the things Taylor says in here is basically uh, survive or die or, or specialize or die. Yeah. So I'll, that's kind of the beginning of this. And again, there's a lot of content in here. So um, I agree with this. And I think there are two general trends that are not, they're not going to change, right? One, one of them is, and, and I think this is, I've, I maybe have spoken about this a couple of times before. But if I look, I mean, I do a lot of integration with different companies. I work with a lot of data that's coming out of these companies. And traditionally, companies would build data systems or things, uh, software, essentially. And they would just kind of make the software. Mm -hmm. But now that with the heavy drive to everything be on, the web, on a website or the web, you now see this like hyper or focus on everything's building an API. The data is all available to you somewhere, but there's some sort of API that exposes the data, lets you have access to the data. So with with this whole era of more and more APIs being made for all kinds of software programs, data can now move a bit more freely between systems. Now, granted, it's not going to communicate and understand all the data correctly because every system has its own kind of data structure, but the ability to get data out is becoming easier and easier. So because of that the volumes of data are ever increasing. And they're saying we're going to make the trends is, you know, we're going to make more data in the next 10 years than we have made in all of history of data right. in the last, you know, a number of years that we've had computers. Like the exponential growth of data is occurring. So five years from now, you're going to be dealing with a lot more data than you have right now. You have to, Your tooling will have to change. Sorry. My nose is a little right this morning. It's so cold here. But I think that that's the interesting part of this, right? Is there's all this data. And I think I'm taking this, I, I think all of us are taking this specifically from a Power BI role. I, one of our episodes during the summer, I believe, was basically like, what does a Power BI analyst look like in five years? And we, at the time, we said we're either going to the Power Platform or you're becoming dev. Mm -hmm. And so we were already on that track to say that there's a difference in what we're going to be doing but i think this article really says even those two alone are i don't want to say not good enough but are insufficient i think to a true career path if you're in the analyst role mm -hmm. if if i'm doing at least from my opinion is i i really believe if you're in power bi now for i'm saying this for me not for anyone listening but i'm in power bi and the power platform now I know Power Query, um, consider, you know, Microsoft MVP. I know the Power Platform. I can build no advanced functions. Great. I know the technical, the hard skill side, mm -hmm. but that is n insufficient in order for me to, um, to fulfill my job responsibilities, and, much less uh, exceed or in a sense, like um, to have my company look at me or have a client look at me and say, they're doing better than I, you know, they're they're on the right career path, even though I know just the hard skills and I might be really good at it because it's that ability and it goes back to the theme of 
power BI tips, think like I think like the business, act like IT. Yep. I don't think it's ever been more important. I would I would agree with that. Seth, you were so, gonna say something? Well, I, I mean, so this article specifically is talking about data analysts. Mm -hmm. right, Correct. As a role. And yeah. are we we're morphing that into the power BI data analyst, or we're we're basically saying data analyst with the power bi skill set i like, think we're yeah help me help me with the bounds yeah. of the conversation <laughs> also, or, or is it all yeah, i it? think it's the scope if you were to look at a power bi analyst on a job resume like we're high, hiring a power bi developer what's the difference than just the data analyst no what's the difference between a power bi analyst and a power bi developer literally goes back to what the, my argument's been is there's no set title i think so, Mike, why don't you if take only somebody had a skills <laughs> Mike. matrix, <laughs> oh, yeah. Mike. Uh, so, I like. So, I think to answer your question, Seth, I think the how you define what the analyst. So, the, so in the article, it kind of talks about three different, three different, three or four personas, right? There's the data engineer, an analytics engineer potentially, a data scientist, and an analyst. These are kind of common terms that I think are just kind of generally thrown out. Mm -hmm. Down to halfway down the article, there's this really interesting graph they're kind of showing you around the data stack land grab analytic. And there's another one down below, even a little bit lower than that one, called the true data stack. Inside these data stacks, it basically talks to, and this is what I, I liked about the article was, it talked about, we have like a database. Who cares what it is? It could be anything you want. And then you have database. We have data transformations. We have insight creation, maturation, generation, and then we have like a decision point. And so his art, his kind of his argument here is, you know, we're going from database to decision. I really agree with this. I think this, this whole path of how you get to that decision point makes a lot of sense to me. And then he draws down this kind of on the Y axis of the chart, he starts talking about the analytic maturity. And so as you go with doing more heavier analytical things, you're engaging different roles of individuals and it's basically breaking out at the highest level, right? Like a Power BI developer or a Power BI analyst, you'd have a developer would maintain the server, the SQL server, and then mm -hmm. they'd be like, here's your tables. And then you let, you let that analyst person do everything. And I think mm -hmm. what the argument's saying here is there is now, and this is what I feel like is happening with Power BI to some degree, right? Power BI is very new to the space but there has not been any hyper-specialization inside the Power BI space. We have, and this is what I've talked about before, in the Power BI realm, we have the maybe the center circle of, you know, we have an architect. This is the person who can go find the data sources, model the data, you know, deploy the models, and then build reports on top of it for the wider audience. If you stretch that circle out and say, okay, I don't, I don't need a data modeler, I'm just looking for report builders, that's a, a different level of analytics maturity. And so now I have this a wider circle of there will be more people in our organization that will consume the cube, but will not make the cube. And then beyond that, there's even a larger audience that's just going to be consuming data. So I think as we look at what the things you can do in Power BI is, traditionally, these roles were broken out and specialized by the tooling. If you were SQL, you were like, that was, you were a DBA. If you were... Report building, you were trained in some visualization program like a uh, business objects or you know some other front end piece where you could take the cube and use it to build reporting and tables of data. So I think Power BI is a, a, a tool that has been able to bring a lot of these separate functions into one position. And we're now just starting to see Power BI specialize into what do you do in Power BI? There are different roles within Power BI and you can now kind of start saying, well, I'm a data modeler. I build cubes. I'm a report developer. I build the reports. I don't know. That's kind of how I'm perceiving the article and overlaying it to what we see in Power BI. I don't know if that helps or hurts, or I just went off on a really long bunny trail. I think no, what you I mean, it's, pro it's <laughs> yes. providing, con it's providing yes. context, right? But at the same yeah. time, what's interesting to me, or at least where some of my thoughts are initially going, is we're trying to carve off analyst as a role as its own role and dovetailing that with technical skills right and and where this gets muddy i think pretty quickly is we i i would is the size of the organization 
Mm-hmm. Right. I totally like, agree with that. How many problems uh, are you trying to solve that are one-time things or require individuals that you're going to call an analyst versus a data engineer versus a Power BI developer or report author or whatever the case may be? Sure. Because we, I, I think our descriptions of how you are successful as a Power BI person (laughs) dovetail into analytics, analysis, understanding the business, being that liaison between technical and real world um, solving of problems. Because I, I almost, I, I, I almost see this as, as two different paths to the same conversation. Okay. And maybe because I played the business role, I played mm-hmm. the tech, super technical role, and now with Power BI, I'm like in the mix of this all the time, and we talk about that mm-hmm. because, like, if we look in totality of a business, right, as workers, we're here to solve business problems. Mm-hmm. And what I would say, and why there, I think, is the great divide typically, or has been in the past, between technical and business is when you're when you're growing up and and in the i know all these cool languages and i can build all these fun tools and i can do all this stuff like you the mentality is i'm learning or can be i know how to do all these things just tell me what you want and i'll go build this thing and i don't have to care about the business right and that couldn't be further from the truth especially when we start to talk about data because for all intents and purposes, data is the lifeblood of any decision-making process that happens in an organization that values data. So the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is I think, I think the analyst role should be a role that spans both technical and business and and they meet somewhere in the middle because it's it's in my mind a responsibility of individuals it just depends on how much of their day is spent doing that thing that mm-hmm. puts the glue between a solution that the an organization needs to scale mm-hmm. versus a one time answer and i think this is the gap in the learning skills or all the documentation online or at least the mindset of the previous analyst, because before, like even in the days of Tableau, it was very much, if I know how to use this tool and I know how to create visuals and I've read, you know, uh, how to build beautiful charts and I know how to do the DAX measures, I'm good. Um, There's two pretty amazing quotes in the article and basically it talks about the secret sauce for a talented analyst is that ability to do expert translation rather than that being like a really special skill that like, Oh wow, this guy has it. That should, that's going to be the bare minimum. And the mm-hmm. other part of this too is, you know, we usually present our data on our visuals, but current data tools fall short because we can build beautiful visuals, but that ability for that to, you know, um, make people make decisions on and interpret. And I think that's the biggest thing is how easily can I interpret those visuals? So going back to Seth's point, like all the skills, the hard skills that previously were adequate to become like to, in a sense, work or, you know, fulfill my job responsibilities. That's obviously still important because you got to, you know, it's a tool belt, but you got to know when to use those tools. But more importantly, how well can you talk to the business? How well can you understand their needs like Mm -hmm. because you a lot of times they don't know what they're asking for so how how strong are your skills and these are skills these aren't just yes arbitrary things i think we don't treat them as just like a skill like dax and again the um says skills matrix points this out too but there is a level or leveling of these types of skills too where how well can I talk to the business? Yes. Understand and have empathy, which we've talked about, but then also interpret that. And um, this to me is it's again, you can even take this out of the scope of just a power BI analyst, but again, for the sake of the conversation, it's just as essential. 
so two two things that <clears throat> Taylor makes a point of later on in the article, and this these are two things I think we're both kind of talking around here slightly, but we're not we're not kind of exactly specifically specifically saying it directly. Right. Was two, one skill is you need expert translation is what mm -hmm. she kind of terms it as, and I think this makes a lot of sense to me because this is this is quote unquote what she calls in the article the secret sauce of the the business and IT integration part here, right? There's a lot of data. This data has to be, like, there's these, and this is where I think I lean on my process around, hey, when you're building a Power BI report, we're talking about what are the insights? <clears throat> and so I feel like this article reaffirms a lot of what I use in discussions with people is we have data. We talk about the operational system. That's the database. We do transformations of things into a data warehouse or something like that. But at the end of the day, we're trying to drive for decisions. And so when I talk about my insight gathering, we talk about how do we get these insights to work, everything we're doing is to support some sort of decision. And I think the point that they're making in this expert translation portion of the article is really around looking at what all, all the data that is there, we need to ask the right questions. And this be, being able to do that is now becoming a skill that is required. You need to be able to listen to what the business is saying. Ask these, like, help me define what is the insight? What do I need to action on? That's that's where these reports should be sitting or the visuals or where the data should be sitting. How do I action on that data? And then the second part of the article talks about being able to uh, decision facilitation, right? So mm -hmm. being able to support the decisions. And as I think about this, there's a couple points in here around talking about like, hey, I've got a website and I'm doing A, B testing, right? I'll do one thing or another thing. So if anything I can think of right now, it's like um, A, B testing, if you're not familiar with it, is usually, typically using like website stuff. You'll, you'll change a color of a button. You'll change a format of a web page. You'll change something slightly, and you'll see if the user engagement goes up or down, something like along those lines. That could be an example of this. In, in this new era... What we're, what we're building in this data space is we need to be more analytically minded because the differences between being successful and not successful are now being very finely tuned. It's, it takes very little tweaking to increase your performance. And so because of the tools and stuff that we have nowadays, I feel like there's a, this new realm of we have so much more information available to us, we can do a lot more of these kind of one-off tests on things with our data to make decisions. Does that make sense at all? Am I yeah. clear at all? So I'm going to hold my thought because I'm sure Seth has something and I'm, I'm going to take it off because you, you pointed out something very, very interesting. Go ahead. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> wasn't expecting that. I also had a cough too, but um, anyways, so the idea of the decision, um, the decision point of this. Yes. <clears throat> I, I don't, excuse me. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this as well, but before I was in a BI tool, but I was still in the BI space, I was very much lent on helping drive decisions where, hey, here's the data. Should we do this? Mm -hmm. Right. But it's interesting that the more you're dealing with Power BI or at least a BI tool, a data viz tool, it's harder to be that authority figure where it's very much where, or at least that diverted away a little, that, that, that authority where it's very much, Hey, here's our problem, build it for us and we'll make the decision. You know, like the report's going to give the decision, not you as the analyst. Um, I've seen that kind of track, at least in, in, in my own space a little where the report is going to be the decision-making tool, not necessarily myself. And I wonder, because the tool is very much like that's the solution, so to speak, not myself, not my decision making on interpreting the data, where like the mathematical skills that go on to, you know, a true like data scientist where like, hey, here's the correlation, here's the strong points, this is, and, and at the end, this is what you should do. Well, that's not necessarily as required of me as much, I don't want to say anymore, but it's almost like the report is that solution tool. And there's a kind of talks on the, on the live chat about decentralization, my, that self-service side, but yep. do you have, I guess the question is, do you guys see that sense at all as, uh, or at least for a lot of power BI pros where 
they're not necessarily the solution provider for the decision for a report where the report's kind of that, in a sense, platform. How, okay. So I want to make sure I understand what you said, right? <laughs> that was not the most clear you, question in the world. You were, yes. you were viewed from the business as the analyst that could provide the solution. And now you're saying we're, we're pointing at a report to do that. Right. Because before we had no report, so they would just basically give me the numbers right. and I would put together and the slides. How, and how did you do that? What was how your process to, to, to build the answer that the business needed? It was usually very one off and it would be very mm -hmm. ad hoc. And then we put together slides like they would and be what like, tools here's a problem. did you use Excel. Excel. I know it's Excel. Excel and then a, a few other visual tools that you could find online, like depending on the need of like a few demos, a few trials. And this was again, early stages. Like this is when mm -hmm. I just started before Power BI came out. Um, but now everything's like, well, we need a report. No one's asking. We need a decision. And I think I think the, potentially that's the miss mm -hmm. here. Right. So that's right. So in my so I think. I, I want to pause right there. Seth, did you get no, your, no, that's, your that's, question answered? Yeah. Is that what you wanted to, to know yes. from Tommy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I don't want to cut you off You're too early. Asking asking me. Yeah. Right. Seth. I, th I think I think you you can continue, I, but I have a I have a talk point? track I want to go down. Okay, good, okay, gotcha. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I I think in how you've lensed that conversation, Tommy, I think what's happening now is there is this the reports people want to see the data regardless, right? Mm -hmm. And so as us as analysts or Power BI developers or whatever you want to call people who are doing this kind of data munging stuff to get to the answer of things, I think we need to drive people for not getting so focused on the individual report and start focusing on what the decisions this report should support. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that we have to kind of in general have to push for. But I would also argue I've been in positions where I've been doing heavy, heavy Excel analysis to get to an answer. So in those situations, when I'm doing those heavy Excel analysis analysts things, right, I'm pulling all the data from some source system. I'm munging the tables. I'm transforming them in Excel. I'm doing all this work. And the only reason I'm doing all this work is because someone asked me a question about yes. some of the information that they know what they're trying to make the decision on. So... It was like it was like a it was like a single insight. Hey, Michael, I need this single insight to make right. a decision. We're looking at our quarterly numbers. Which client is down in sales versus other clients? Where's my right. where's our largest impact? That is the insight we're looking for. But previously, when I didn't have access to a data model and all those other rich things, those. I think having like multiple tables, a star schema, the fact that I can answer multiple questions with a report now, people have stopped thinking about, or maybe in your, in your scenario, people are not thinking about like the one insight that we need answers to. Tommy, go spend a half a day in Excel deriving this answer. Tell me what, what is the answer here. Instead, now we're saying, well, now we can have multiple answers for the same stuff. And so now you're taking that one insight that you would have been developing in one of the Excel files and you're making it a commodity, right? You're commoditizing yeah. the insighting, the insights that you can do. So now you have this data model that should that should support multiple insights. And so p since people realize that the data model is important, maybe now they're they're pushing back into you say, well, we need to do the report, and we're not having the conversation around what does well, this report insights right. look well, like. We're almost now the threat is diluting the action where before to exactly your point, Mike, where before it was, hey, should we be spending money on campaign A? That was the question. Before. Correct. Yes. Now it's show me trending of spend by campaigns. Correct. Right. So it's no longer, and at least those are we'll call it the theme of the type of questions or the type of problems that you're getting. It's no longer where should we be spending the money? Just show me where we're spending money. But I think I think that's that's a that is a less fundamental question of what you should what you should be asking, right? So I think as us as sure. analysts, we should be saying to your point, you know, you know, what is the instead of saying where is the distribution of money by campaign, it should be mm -hmm. which which campaign has been the most effective for us making money, right? right. Those I'm kind thinking, of things. Yeah. So it's taking like another step further, asking that deeper question and saying, okay. We need to understand 
where the money's coming from so we can then spend more money in that particular right. area or refine that right. or go identify the weak spenders and mm -hmm. either kill them or figure out how to make them right. better and more profitable. So I want to go down Seth's question go track ahead, before, ahead, before, before we go off too much of a tangent. I, still muddling the, the, okay. the, the topic okay. in my head, but I think, you know, for me, the crux of this issue kind of revolves around the blurring of lines between the technical and the business, Yes, mm -hmm. which I think is being prompted by data volumes and the amount mm -hmm. of information right. companies can now Agreed. pull forward to make make decisions, right? In the past, it, it may have been like, we've only collected the last week of data because our systems aren't going to support more than mm -hmm. that. Tommy, dump it out into Excel. Yeah, or it's too expensive to store right. it all. And spend a week analyzing the data because we need to solve this, this, this right. particular business problem. Yes. I think what you guys are bringing up and talking at length about here is, is really just a decision point. Right. When we talk about Power BI reporting from the standpoint of do you invest a ton of time in the front end because this is going to be a long term, you know, solution or report? Or is this a quick like this is designed to make like for this meeting so we have a, a clear understanding of what happened in the last year, whether or not our campaigns are working and the decisions we're going to go for the next six months. Right. right. Like to me, that's just de defining what areas you spend time invested in to solve that answer. I guess in general, though, like this conversation still strikes me as a skills-based conversation, right? And and the only I guess dictate to me is where, as a analyst, I'm I am pushing for my engineer, like call it the technical mm -hmm. folks, to understand the business because these lines are blurred. And I think this article points out from the business side, what is analyst 2.0? What is a data analyst in this new realm of us having to intermix with other engineering groups or technical folks to solve a problem? And Agreed. I think I think in the spectrum of like small, medium, and large businesses, right? This conversation of are you the data engineer or are you the data analyst? Well, you're both. Right. You're the report author. Right. You're everything. We talk about at mm -hmm. length our experiences in crossing this divide because the more time you spend in, in, in Power BI, just call it Power BI. Say I'm a technical person. I was a SQL guy and you learn Power BI. You're going to be the same in terms of potentially, right, mm -hmm. as a business person yep. who jumps in and understands Power BI. And that's where this, like, the skills matrix does come into this conversation right. because where do you invest your time? Because both of these individuals are now forced with the same problem. How do you solve this business problem in this report? And it's a mix now of do you understand the business problem, which is where the technical folks struggle still mm -hmm. or learn the most versus the business folks who understand that problem and how to get to it and how to solve it, they need to learn the technical part. And Power BI is this really interesting, you know, union of all of these front and back end pieces mixed together in this single platform called Power BI. Yep. That is really an enterprise solution that spans this whole spectrum of technical and business. And that's why I think right. because of data volumes, the, the conversation is pushing more towards, you can't just have information workers yes. that know Excel. Yeah. And I think well, if you wanna, if you wanna call what is data analyst 1.0, 90% of their time is in Excel. And is does that mean you can't use Excel anymore? No. no. But businesses are using platforms that are making that harder to use or pushing people into platforms like Power BI where you can scale over and do some of the same things and do the same you know, sorts of calculations that you would do in a different environment. So it's pushing you as a business or information worker, data analyst, to mm -hmm. learn new skills. And I think we've, you know, that's where to me this is going. I, and I like I, where, I like how you're phrasing this, Seth, yeah. because I think this is um, spot on where I've seen the market going, especially being the guy who came from Excel, who did a lot of analysis inside Excel. And I built way too many applications in Excel 
There are simple things like using VLOOKUP or XLOOKUP in Excel. That's a relationship. You're applying a relationship between data pieces. You don't need to be doing that anymore. You can build that directly into your data model. I'm working on a project right now where we have, let's call it an Excel data application. This thing's robust. This, this is an Excel file that runs a lot of key decisions. It does a lot of formatting of data into a very pretty format for, for clients, but this thing's massive. This thing's huge. You're talking about like a, a file that has been worked on for years by people to drive a lot of decision, it's decisions in their business. And we're now looking at this going, this Power BI tool can help simplify a lot of this data modeling exercise that's being done inside Excel across multiple tabs and pages. So now we're, we're actually looking at like rebuilding this data model thing, pulling it into a cube that sits on top of a data warehouse. There's, there's a whole lot of Power BI has, has been this tool. And Seth, we've talked about this before, way before the podcast, back when we were doing consulting stuff together. But like Power BI is the equalizer tool. It gives the business very heavy IT capabilities and it gives the IT organization very heavy business capability. So it's, it, it's this tool that spans both technology areas really, really well. Well, allow me to challenge. I th I honestly believe the volume of data or the ability to process the scale in, of data in Power BI is very similar to the ring in Lord of the Rings, where everyone sees this great power, but no one sees the possible threat of it. And allow me to explain this because everyone thinks, oh, the more data I can process, the better. And it's absolutely true. What Power BI can do is incredible. But I can I think that what that's led us to is more general reports where you're not budgeted for data, where you're not, in a sense, doing these ad hoc analysis where what campaigns should we spend or what products should we uh, invest in, where it's a very general report. Um, and I, I truly believe that the Power BI Analyst 1.0, at least from 1.0 for Power BI, is these very general reports ability to scale an amount, uh, uh, an incredible volume of data, but without that decision-making within that report or without, I think even worse, the analysts themselves being able to interpret what that report's trying to tell the, the consumer, like to do, because it was very much that we create all these operational uh, visuals where it's the state of the, you know, the company where trending over time. But I think when you're budgeted for data, so to speak, you're very much more focused on where should we spend money? Should we be spending money on product Y? Was it successful? This particular scenario, scenario X. Sure. And I think the, the volume of data challenges or is a threat for our ability to think that way because people now think, oh, I can get all this data. Show me all this data. And we, the 1.0... Power BI analyst thinks, yeah, we'll provide that report. The 2.0 analyst should now be thinking, okay, what are we trying to solve? Is there something in this that you're trying to solve for that the report's going to provide? Maybe that means more ad hoc reports because again, that previous analyst role was not something that was going to be refreshed. It was solving an answer in that point in, in a point in time or at a point in time. I, I want to jump on your comment there. Your original ad hoc analysis in Excel was like a single non-refreshable answer to a question, right? Let's, right? let's talk about like that. I found when I was doing this, initially, I did that. I built a lot of Excel files that were a right. one-off one analysis. I did it once. Inevitably, more often than not, that question was re-asked a week later, a month later, yes. a year later. Something came up again, and the question was re reinvigorated and I had to mm -hmm. go back and redo my Excel, whatever that was. Right. And so I very quickly learned in my Excel days that doing things in Excel one time was very inefficient and not useful. And so I started incorporating Power Query very early on in my Excel right. mantra. And I forced myself to learn Power Query because I knew when I loaded that data, when I did that analysis, I, I, I had to get better at that part of it because that question, even though someone says, yeah, it's a one-time deal, I knew for a fact that someone would add some data to it, tweak the answer because they, they, either they didn't like the answer or there wasn't enough resol resolve in that answer to be definitive and never have to answer the question again. Right. So, And I completely agree. 
but I think that's where, you know, so in the article, Taylor talks about two, two phrases that I think that you're speaking to here, Tommy. One of them in the expert translation area is they're able, uh, the, the analyst 2.0 can bring data into context of the business problem, ensuring that the team instantly understands not just what the chart says, but what it means to them. So I think that's a, a valuable skill that is, it's a skill. This is something you have to work on, go to classes for. And this is also where I would say my classwork time that I spent in Delta Associates doing training for them was super helpful. It helped me look deeper beyond these questions. As the analyst, I wasn't just looking to answer the question. I needed to think about what is what is the position and my direction of our data? Did we do well and are we trending up or down? Right. You know, if we're talking like market share, right? How, can we can we calculate estimate right. out what market share looks like in this space? Is there uh, you know, industry metrics. I know in the in the retail space, you can get a lot of industry level metrics, and you can figure out if you're right. selling stuff that is growing share in the market or losing share in market. Those the deeper questions can be asked, and you could think about these more um, impactful insights re relative to the business. But to the article's you know point here, this is this is the quote unquote the secret sauce that analysts 2.0 need to start thinking about. There's going to have to be training around this, and this is something that's just starting to form. I think, again, the tooling is supporting this, but there has to be this deeper level of training. People just don't get this information. They don't just be... You're just not good at data by doing it. You need right. someone else to have thought through these things and help you train you to be better at asking these questions at a deeper level. So I'm, I'm going to back up here a second, Tommy, to your description of, like, what you described to me is is the analyst data analyst 2.0 main focus as mm -hmm. it transforms like you went from being the individual that was the only one that could come up with the answer mm -hmm. right to uh, apparently a a new method where everybody is saying this singular report is going to answer all your questions which you know is not true right right so it isn't that also now the responsibility of the data analyst to ensure that whatever is being generated from data volumes translates to answering or solving the business problem. Right. Well, right? I think this is, yeah. And I think this is the kind of the interesting side of the, the, not the beautiful side, but before people would ask questions, but only questions that they knew were budgeted data. They couldn't get a report that shouldn't be trending over the last 20 years because we had to export the, you know, like again, the very archaic time, so to speak, they could only ask those very pointed questions because that's all you could really get out of it. And then we would just answer those questions like scenario X scenario Y when all this volume of data came in, people just like, Oh, well just show me trending. And that's what we did. But then we lost that ability to do it's almost like we went from 2.0 to 1.0 to now we need to proactively think 2.0 i don't know if that, I, that answers yeah i i think i think the point i want to make in, yeah. in here right is at, in reading this article and the spectrum of the bar charts and in what role the analyst plays i think these are less role-based the more that you get into a small organization, right? And this is what I think we press a lot. The, if you are an individual, whether you come from the technical world or the business, and you're, there's a data analyst realm to everything we're doing in building Power BI reports. Mm -hmm. As an individual, the more you <laughs> listen to our podcast, <laughs> the more <laughs> you dive into all these areas with the chief focus on solving the business problem, the more valuable you will become for any organization, bar none. In medium-sized organizations, you may start to get this trans this translation where you have uh, a data analyst that's spending more of their time just, you know, in not necessarily data cleansing, but solving the pro a particular problem without it having to scale. But and then in larger organizations you may still have this like data analyst role that is, you know, these group of people still are playing a lot in Excel. They're only using Power BI to some, you know, limited extent, but they don't know how it scales. They don't know how to um, increase the solution and that's okay. But I think in general, maybe the, the hubbub around 
what is a data analyst supposed to do right. is the same thing that you say all the time, which is what am I doing in five years, even though I know all these technical skills right. as a Power BI person? Well, you have to adapt. You have mm -hmm. to adapt your skill set, your technical skill set to, to keep yourself relevant to a business. Right. Like ultimately, I think this 2.0 conversation is, is delving into that, ensuring that it is no, like it is no longer, uh, I think safe for individuals to just say I'm a subject matter expert in this business yeah. without growing your skills. Right. Because, because it's the same thing that like, why have you been so successful in the first place? Well, you knew how you learned how to use Excel effectively to answer those questions. You learned a tool. Well, you have to learn a new tool, whether it's power BI, whether it's something else, like there's that layer where it has to be meaningful to the business. And that's where this data analyst rule 2.0 or Power BI data analyst, I think, fits in well, is you're prepared more so than any of the technical folks to answer those questions. Yes. But yeah. to keep yourself relevant, you need to continue to learn technical skills so that you continue to increase the value of yourself within organizations mm -hmm. and allow yourself more bandwidth to go to any type of organization. And I think that's where all of this kind of revolves around is, is you know, ensuring that your skill sets match the need of businesses because ultimately that's who we serve. Seth, I wanna ask you, because I think this is going to a, a phenomenal point and probably a good slightly wrap up place, but how do you change a, a culture's perception or at least a company's culture's perception of a one like let's of the analyst so let's say and to exactly your point where someone's having the realization like i build reports but i realize i need to be this person that's solving these problems and being actionable with the data but no one's treated the analyst that way before or no one perceives the analyst in that way they only consider them as the build report guy. And so how does someone in a sense change that perception at a company or in an organization or in a culture? And that I, I would really want to know for people listening or, you know, uh, what, what's that process like, or is that possible even? So a, a good example of this is, is individuals that have been touted, um, in, in some of the, the major Microsoft, uh, um, they're they're so foreign to me. I can't even think of uh, big conferences. <laughs> conferences. We haven't attended one in years. You know those things with people right, in the, them. The yeah. Microsoft conferences. <laughs> like there was there was that one individual who was like a, a frontline worker, learned Power Apps, right, yes. and transformed how the the airline did business. That's how. Like that's a perfect example of you as a data analyst. Are you only solving the very specific thing that gets gets layered down and through management to you and and that's what you do really effectively on a daily basis that means you're a fantastic worker if you can turn those answers around and you're helping the business that's great you, you, like but how do you level up from answering the very specific thing yep. to solving the bigger business problems mm -hmm. because once you start once you pull your mindset out of i'm just doing the thing i'm being asked and looking at being part of an organization, the longer you're in it, if you spend some thought cycles around where are our problems, what are the things we struggle with? What are the things I continually hear from, from my manager, from his skip level, from whomever, from the CEO that we're trying to solve? What is our business space? What is, how, how is this business trying to edge out competitors, right? Like when, when you, take the efforts to understand those big, large things and you start solving some of those mm -hmm. that gets noticed. That's how you scale up yeah. like that. Like when you're solving bigger problems than just the, the one line item or the one report or the one business area on top of what you're doing. I, I think that's like the bigger your impact that you make and, and what's exciting about our area. And, and you think about, the data that we have access to and the knowledge that we have around compiling, aggregating, pulling insights together. Like there's a difference between somebody saying, Hey, a salesperson, this in this, you know, particular region of Wisconsin needs to know 
you know, what their, you know, competition is doing, whatever. If you built this thing and you were like, hey, you know what? Holistically as a business, I think if I added this and this and this and aggregated it by region, like we could see who the most effective salespeople are in our organization. And that could probably drive change or could drive training for these individuals or what are we doing wrong in you know the west coast because the east coast is banging like is it is it regional are the like what are the differences maybe i want to ship my product like this product over to the west coast and this one over to the east coast or something like those are the types of things that will get you noticed in an organization because you're solving bigger business problems and we're we're in a prime spot <laughs> for any analyst or any any person building meaning for an organization to be able to do that i that that's how i would answer your question so i i want to also dovetail on i thought some of your thought point there seth i like what you said there and i also think how do you know when those individuals are going to be able to be like how do you identify a person who's going to be able to do what you say right there like your 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 vision of like i'm answering smaller business questions i need to be able to be more impactful with my business decisions into larger areas of impact yeah. across the company they're they're already a top performer yeah well and i think how do you like so part of this is like how do you identify those individuals how do you encourage them to continue learning more right because where i think i find the most value is i don't see a lot of it based individuals that have learned like a technical skill jumping into these roles and being able to do this really well there's a, there's definitely people that can do this where i find the more impact comes from is when you find that business user who has been in the business, who understands that side of the world, when they become more technical, that's when I think I really start seeing the value that those individuals can produce because they're able to step back and understand what does the business need and then how do I use data to support these larger decisions? And then you just give them more technical skills, encourage them to refine that and develop that more. And then they're able to come back to the company and provide larger and larger insights and you start you can start thinking more holistically around you know the questions may be how do i make my one you know if, if, I, if i'm a warehousing company right if i'm a distributor of, of products like kind of like an amazon right if i think about how can i make my one warehouse more efficient you can then step back and say well maybe i should think about the entire network right how much money are we wasting shipping products from the wrong location Maybe having the right product in the right warehouse will shave us on a lot of money on shipping costs. So you can you can kind of go around an, an example that would help you like ask these larger questions. And so I think as I as I'm looking through this and going through Analyst 2.0, right? Power BI has I think where I I'm gonna try to articulate this correctly. Those people have always been around. The tooling today is changing. The tools that we use to be able to do these larger, impactful, insightful things is making it more accessible for those users to get more data, build better yeah. models, because Power BI gives you full analysis services in desktop for free. You download the desktop program, you get a full analysis services engine on your local computer. I think that capability that Microsoft has provided has afforded a lot more people a huge amount of opportunity to grow their career to this next level. Previously, you would have to be like a DBA. You'd have to go to school, get training, take classes on this, and you'd have to be like a, a database administrator to be able to get that level of detail of access and that volume of data. So I'm not sure if I completely agree with everything, Mike, but I think, Seth, to your point, and I think to kind of mesh them together, the underlying theme to me on everything that you said was the skill of communication. Mm -hmm. And I think regardless if Power BI has all the, you know, the, the, the horsepower that it already has and the ability that it already has, if you cannot communicate this new initiative or market yourself in this way or communicate, Hey, Yes, you said you want to build this report this way, but I have an idea for the BI team or I have an idea for what we're trying to do. And if you can't communicate, A, the situation and B, the overlying theme or vision for what you see for yourself and reiterating that over time, because this is a culture change to me in an organization. Mm -hmm. This is not something that one report or three conversations solves for. 
So well, so, hold on. I want to make a point there. Yeah, you made a really good point. I like what you said. It's a culture change in the organization, but that culture change is being fueled by tooling changes, right? You could think, if previously you could not do this, right? Previously, yeah. previously you could not build a model as well as you can now. No, yeah. So what I'm saying, like, yes, I totally agree with your statement. That fully stands all on its own. But what's happening now is Power BI is the tooling change that's coming to this industry that is forcing or allowing or enabling, whatever you want to call it, enabling yeah. this next level of stuff that's happening. And I think it's more, you're going to see more of these kind of tools. Like Databricks for me is yeah. one of these game-changing tools. Wow. But, like right. It, but that, but that's bridging between like the data engineer and the data scientist all into one one single role, and now they're building more analyst level SQL things inside that tool as well. So I, there are other tools I think in the market that are going to be making more and more data right. accessible to information workers. So I think, but to my a previous point that I said, I think it's it's it is a blessing and it is the propellant to get you there, but mm -hmm. it's also can be on the other side um too general so to speak it's almost like where if you only had a budget if you cut your budget in half for groceries a month you'd be a lot more selective on what you got compared to just buying everything where you don't need it and i think my other point where power bi has that oh, force power you're going there tommy i like i i, I like this part yeah. of the argument this is keep going i like where this is and going what i'm saying is like power bi's threat to the analyst without being proactive is now you're just building a bunch of general reports that have very pretty visuals that don't solve anything and you're not really an analyst anymore or you're not in a sense providing answers and i think that's the threat if you're not if uh if someone in this space isn't thinking that way, if they're just doing what the requests come in, you are losing that ability or that authority because now you're just known as a guy who can model data and build visuals. All right. You don't, oh yeah. man, this is good. Okay. So okay. you have just touched on, I, I'm going to say the name wrong, Joven's paradox, J E V O N's paradox. So, Joven, I'm going to explain something real quick here and try and give it this, make my point quick, clean and quick here. <laughs> Joven's paradox is when the price of something comes down, you the 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 thought was okay. This is this is kind of off of coal and energy, right? Mm -hmm. Light. Let's just talk about light in general. Mm -hmm. When when it was very expensive to make light, like with a candle, right? Back in the day. It was very expensive. So people did not use light. They would use it very sparingly, right? Mm -hmm. You would have a candle. It would have to be made. You wouldn't put it on a street corner. You wouldn't just hang it out anywhere. You would use that candle to be in your house to see what you need to see at nighttime right. because it took eight hours to build a candle or whatever, whatever it took to make <laughs> right. the candle, right? You got to get the materials, all that kind of stuff. As stuff becomes commoditized, right? So now we have the invention of gas lamps. So gas lamps show up and the price to make light has decreased. So now you see gas lamps on the corner of streets. You see the streets being lit for longer periods of time. Okay, so even further now, now we have Edison, we have light bulbs, we have electricity. The price of light has now gotten so cheap. And the thought was, if you bring down the price of consuming light, people would need to use less of it. That's actually the opposite. Right. By bringing the price down on something, people consume more of it. And so in now we have this issue today where we have light pollution. You have yeah. so much light going on that it's so easy to just flip a switch. We just pollute with light. It's so pollute. It's just commonplace. And what you're and speaking to, Tommy, is the tooling, the barrier to entry to get that insight has become commoditized. Exactly. The data can be commoditized. The, 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 so what we're saying, and this is speaking exactly to your point, is, you know, you are now looking at, oh my gosh, this is so good. This is like this is all coming we together done this this is, oh man this is i should have made this point hours ago um <laughs> but this is exactly what you're saying you're saying um the the ability to be able to generate that information to get the insight is now so commonplace that instead of us actually sitting back and thinking about what really needs to happen to drive that action we're just plopping out tons of data sources and data models right. because we can just do it. And like, it's so yeah, easy. the answer's in there somewhere. Here you go. Boom, done. More data models. Boom, boom, boom. More reports. Boom, boom, boom. Because the, the barrier to entry to that has become commoditized. It's so easy right. to do that. And so I think this whole article and potentially what you're saying here is we need to be careful and mindful of that to not continually just kind of spit out reports 
and really think critically around what is required to answer the question. Yes. Oh man, that's a really yes. long. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this answer in here for Javens uh, Javens 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 Javens. No, but effect Javens paradox. You're absolutely on, and that's what I was speaking before. The tool is so powerful, but that's where I saw that Lord of the Rings connection, where yep. everyone says, "Wow, it's so cool! You can do all this stuff with it." But then you realize you almost lose your ability to analyze, or people yep. don't perceive you that way. Anyways, yeah. I, and I think you've become you, your job has become a commodity. It's it's right. a it, you know it's so easy for Tommy to spit out a report instead of this thing taking a month and a half. You don't sit back and say, "What do we really need to answer here?" Nor do the consumer. If it takes two days, yeah, the consumer doesn't care either, right? If it, it now only trending, yeah. If it takes two days to build the same thing, Tommy, build me a report two days, and you'd right. be like, and that's "Sure." Why, and that's why they're not asking the same questions. They're just saying, "We need a report that shows me the sales." Wow. For, yeah, and I think that's why I asked Seth, and why I think it's so important. Where how do you change that? that culture where now that if everything's commoditized, how do you get people to start thinking of you or the report in a way that it's, it can drive that again, that previous action well, or it can drive action. Well, here's, here's how you do yeah, that. Yes. Make it scarce. Make it, So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, if, if you use Jevons paradox as the thing, right, you make it commoditized, people consume more of it. If you want them to consume less of it, make it harder for them to consume and make it harder for them to get the report they want, and then they'll ask the right questions right. because they can't be just willy-nilly like, tell me what my sales are. It has to be, tell me what my sales are and what should I do to increase X, Y, Z. This is like business 101, right? It increase, <laughs> no, you, you want to increase well, demand? Reduce supply. Yes and no, because you're, we're not going to reduce supply, but this I think goes back to question the conversations we had about help desk and about scoping a report where that needs to be in a sense more scarce, where we're not just okay. It's that ability to go through a process before you build a report where we don't just see this report as churn and burn. Mm -hmm. At least that's my point. But Seth, what were you going to say? I, I think the challenge of data, data analyst 1.0 is is the same thing that tech technologists um 1.0 had right business could only get their answer from a person who knew something yes uh data analysts could only get their their data from data engineers mm -hmm. and that's no longer the case so yeah. skill sets are required but at the same time the value the data analyst still has albeit the questions are different because you you like to your points, you can you have this large volume of data that people are trying to just throw out the door because you have technologists that don't understand those nuances and data data analysts do. So maybe the value prospect changes from the standpoint that they're no longer able to on their own solve those problems. And we're saying you need to increase your skill sets, but the skill of being able to translate that to the business does not change. No. Yeah. Wow. Some uh this this yeah. seem, this topic seems to be reson resonating with individuals. We have people saying like we need a part two of this one. <laughs> so I'm happy to because I th I think so too. This is really good. I I didn't think of it that way, Tommy. The way you were you articulating that, and I I think I think there's another thread or another conversation here is how do you, like even another whole topic. How do you keep your data from being commoditized? How do you how do you continue? How do you focus people teams of people on to what is actionable? Right. How do you how do you focus on the decisions? Oh man, this is good. Anything else we want to kind of cover? I think we're at a good point here. We've hit the should close out. We've yeah, hit the, we've hit the one hour lull kind of. Uh, we're getting moment. to the point where now all our episodes going to be an hour and a half. Yeah, and then yeah. Six months from now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I threw in a couple links in there. So for those of you who are following the chat window, I did throw in this Power BI skills matrix. I also threw, threw in uh, Jevon's Paradox as well for other people to read. The article uh, the article we've been talking about, the Analyst 2.0, is also in the chat window as well. So I'll, I'll throw some of those things out additionally for people to go get those links. Um, with that, uh, we want to thank you for burning a whole hour of time with us. We appreciate it, and we know your time is valuable, uh, as is ours. What's why we got to run off to go do things now? <laughs> so we appreciate your time. Our only ask, uh, if spending this time with us, 
if you enjoyed this conversation, if you liked what we were talking about, please go share this with one other person. Tell someone at work. Tell someone uh, that you're around that, hey, this is an interesting podcast. It helped you learn more things about Power BI and, and maybe even think more critically around uh, what you're doing at your daily job, um, helping you, you know, sharpen your tool your toolkit here a little bit. So with that, Tommy, where can you find the podcast? So if you're watching live right now, make sure to subscribe to all of our previous episodes. A lot of things we've talked about today are available on previous episodes where we've touched on. So a lot of good content there. I think now that we have 73 episodes, if you're listening, join the conversation live, follow powerbi.tips on YouTube and LinkedIn, and you can see all of our future episodes. You can join with an amazing community of people chatting, learn some more additional things there as well. And we'll see you uh, every Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30 a.m. Central. Awesome. Well, thank you all very much. We'll see you again on Thursday this week. Take care.